0: Um, my name is Ross, and I'm one of the pastors here, and if uh, you got your Bibles, go to Joshua chapter 1. Now, let me, let me see if I can broadcast something here real quick, all right, so nobody gets uh, crazy. Uh, I'm not weird, all right? You might be weird, but I'm not weird, all right? So, I got three things. So, I, I'm going to want to talk a little bit about 9-11, and I want to talk a little bit about the queen, but I'm not preaching on either of those things. I just I want to say a few words, but they help us. I, I'm on purpose. I'm saying them on purpose because I, they help us to get into this study on the on the book of Joshua. I mean, th- this book of Joshua is amazing. You we're gonna we're starting the study today. We're gonna go through um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, over several months, and. and I guarantee you, if, if you'll study this alongside uh, me and alongside the, the church um, over the next, th- this could have a profound um, uh, shift in how you see God and, and, and maybe a profound shift in, in growth in your spiritual life. Because there are things in here that are so important for us to know, and we're going to get to talk about those over the next several weeks. I'm also going to talk about meditation, but not in a weird way, all right? So don't worry about it. Uh, Just go with it, all right? I'm not, actually. God's Word's going to talk about it. I'm going to help kind of unpack it. So if you need to leave, your problem's with God, not me, all right? But 9-11, but but I have been thinking about it. I mean, like everybody, this is 21 years. 9-11 happens on a Sunday. I find myself reflecting on, you know, just like you, where, where you were uh, when that happened, and um, at the same time, uh, and, and so thankful for all the all the great uh, men and women um, who stepped into active service after that, and um, uh, you know, our country was changed, our life was changed, the whole world was changed, and it still is changed because of that. And then this week, reflecting on um, what it means that a queen dies. You know, a monarch, uh, a monarchy that's 1200 years old that blows my mind. And like you, I you know, you've probably been uh, I've been reading t- trying to catch myself up on all the British history and and uh, how all of these things work and what it means to say the queen is dead and long live the king and, and you know, probably like you. And I came across this clip and it kind of intersected both of those things and it was kind of moving and I so enjoyed reading all of these things about uh, the Queen that I didn't know, but one of them is on September the 13th of 2001, just two days after 9/11. For the very first time ever, um, the the Queen commissioned or ordered that the Star Spangled Banner be played at Buckingham Palace out in the out in the yard for everyone, and that the Royal Guard stood at attention. It was very. It's a very moving. Seeing that that takes place is her solidarity, her care for what was happening in America. I've also been helped greatly at being able to read um, some folks that have helped put into context for me how significant of an event this is that the queen has has died, and there's a change in a monarchy. We, we don't get to see that very often, and certainly not at this uh, th- this much prominence in the world. In fact, even at our house, we, uh, Leslie, made uh, scones and homemade clotted cream. And it's awesome, all, all right? Um, we should have done that way before um, she died. But w- we'll see a change in, you know, from a king to a queen. We'll see, um, you know, some of these effects. I, I just want to read, let me read one thing um, You might not have known about the queen's faith, you know, Uh, but her December 25th, her Christmas address last year, these were the last words of her last Christmas address, the Christmas broadcast. She did it every year. Jesus, whose teachings have been handed down from generation to generation and have been the bedrock of my faith, his birth marked a new beginning, as the carol says. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Love that. Love reading about her faith. The end of the second Elizabethan age, just it, how it'll go down in the history books. And all of the change that she saw, as much change as any monarch maybe has ever seen. Seventy years, a, a long life, and a, and a long reign. And one writer I read this week says, and her shadow is also very long. And it is. And so, it's it's been helpful to me to find some context for when I open up Joshua chapter 1. Because when I open up Joshua chapter 1, it's, it's a little hard for me if I'm, if I'm just kind of coming to it and I don't, I don't quite understand the mood or I, I can't feel the weight of what's happening. And so I want to kind of help us this morning with the weight of what's taking place when you open it up is that uh, the people of Israel, if you'll remember, they've been in slavery for 400 years. Moses is born, called by God. And at 80 years old, leads the Israelites out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the wilderness and on to the promised land. And through Moses, these Israelites came to know who they were as Israelites, and they came to understand who God is, and they saw this man perform signs and miracles from God. They heard through this man the very words of God to them as a nation. And he led them through a hard time, a a, a forever memorable time, in the nation's history as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years out of disobedience to God as He prepared the next generation to step in and and take possession of the promised land, the promise that God made. And so, all this is happening, but you realize these, these five First five chapters of the Bible, they've, they've been leading you to uh, the nation, stepping into the promises of God. And yet what, we happen, what happens is we open up Joshua 1, and we realize the nation is, is, is finding itself in the shadow, if you will, the dark shadow in many ways, of the death of Moses, their leader, in fact, the way the Bible says it is at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, the very last verses, did nobody ever? No, no one ever was like Moses ever again. It's no one that did the things that Moses did. No one whom God knew like God knew Moses. And there would not be another until the greater Moses would come, and that's Jesus. So the loss of Moses, it's hard to overestimate the the loneliness that a mass of people would feel when their beloved and revered leader has died. And you're introduced to Joshua who's standing there with the nation On the banks of the Jordan River and God saying, I want you to cross this Jordan and I want you to go over into this land and I want you to take possession of all that I've promised. And you can imagine for a moment how you'd feel if you were Joshua. So, I want to read the first nine verses of Joshua chapter 1 and I'll tell you a little bit of big picture of what the book is about. I'll give you three things about Joshua and his character to help us, and then we'll walk through the rest of this. But this is what it says, Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, so 11 times uh, we're going to hear Moses' name in chapter 1. Be sure he's dead, although you might wonder if he really is or not, all the talk about him. But after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, and then look how he's described, Moses' assistant. And so God says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, help us this morning to Hear these words. We ask that your spirit would open our eyes and our hearts and draw us to your Son. Father, transform us this morning. Be at work about that in our lives. We ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what is this book about? Well, I'll give you a real simple outline. The first half of the book is Israel going in and conquering the land. And we'll get into some places, and it'll be really uncomfortable because the Old Testament will talk about Israelites going in and conquering and devoting things to destruction. And don't worry, we'll, we'll discuss those when we get to them. But you need to know that the first half of this book will read like the chronicles of a war, of a of conquering warriors going into the land. The second half of the book will be the dividing up of the land. Now that they've gone into the land, what does it look like to possess it? How will it be divided amongst the tribes? And so that's detailed. You might say it this way, it's it's Joshua leading this new generation of Israelites by the will of God, guiding his people through the battles that God has authored, distributing the land that God has promised, all the while remembering the law that God has given. The will of God into the battles of God, distributing the land of God that he's promised under the guidance of the word of God. And while Joshua is the main character, I wouldn't want you to think it's all about Joshua. What the book's really about is it's about God. It's about his faithfulness. It's about God who says, I've made a promise and I'm going to keep my promises. And so the whole book is an unpacking of God fulfilling and keeping the promises that he's made. It is about the faithfulness of God to his promises and the faithfulness of God to his people. That's what the book is about. And, and I just want to say for a minute, I, I think we live in an age where we lack a lot of clarity about what it is that God has promised. That, that we find ourselves confused or or hearing the surrounding voices. And, and what's happened is I think there are a lot of people speaking into this vacuum of clarity and calling people to believe promises that God has never made, that we would believe something about God or believe a promise of God that He's never made, and that we would call that faith. I'll give you just two examples, and these are examples at a high level, generally. I'm not speaking specifically, although I may in the weeks to come. I think nationalism is one of those things that has been abused in our current climate and speaks in ways that says, well, God has promised this when God has never promised this. And so we have a lot of people believing in some promise that God has never made and they call that faith. I'll give you another example. The prosperity theology or the prosperity gospel. And it calls you to believe or to claim these promises of God, but they're promises that God has never made. And I want you to call that faith. See, there are a lot of people counting on God to do what he hasn't promised, mistaking that for faith. Faith. And what we need is we need to hear God's promises. We need to hear the word of God speak. We need this ancient book as much today as the hearers in Joshua's day. So that at the end of our life, just like the end of Joshua's life, the theme of this book would... We would resonate with it. Joshua 23, 14, at the end of his life, he says, I'm about to go the way of the earth, which means I'm I'm about I'm about to lay down and have my last nap. My time on earth has come to an end. And then he says, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. None of them has failed. Oh, that we would know the promises of God with that much certainty and with that much assurance and with that much hope. That's my prayer over the next several weeks, over the next several months, is that we would find ourselves more clear about the promises of God and how to How to discern the promises of God. Well, three things, and I'll go through them quickly, but three ways we're introduced to Joshua, who this man is in the Scriptures. The first time we're introduced to Joshua is in Exodus chapter 17. There is a group called the Amalekites. They're coming against the Israelites. Israel has to defend itself. And so Moses says to Joshua, hey, Joshua, I need you to get an army together. I need you to go to battle against the Amalekites to defend the Israelites. And so Joshua does, as Moses tells him, Joshua takes his men, this army, they go down to the battlefield in the plain. Moses and Aaron and Hur go up to the mountain to pray. And up there, Moses, you know the story, he's holding the staff, and, and then he gets tired because oh, Moses is an old man. And they say, Moses, sit on the rock. So he sits on the rock. And then the guys get on either side, and they help hold up his arms. Because when Joshua is leading the battle in the, in the field down there, every time the, the rod, the rod of the staff of God is up in the air, the, the Israelites are winning. But every time that thing goes down, the Israelites begin to lose. And so they come along and they hold up. And the whole picture is this, is this picture, this parable, this acted out dependence upon God. God, we're dependent upon you. It's what we do when we pray, by the way. God, we're dependent upon you. Up on the mountain, we pray. And we know that, that that's where the battle takes place. That's what affects the outcome. Down in the plain. And so in Exodus 17, after they win the battle, God instructs Moses to write these things down. He says, uh, The Lord says to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it. And then he's going to tell who to recite it to, you might think. And then tell all the Israelites and their children after them of this great battle. It's not what it says. Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. This man who emerges on the scene as the warrior for Israel. Moses, write down how this battle took place and make sure it is read to Joshua every single day so that he knows who won this battle. It was not him, it was me. And it was not by the sword. Was by the staff of God and the prayer of his people. And so that's good. And Joshua remembers that. Not only is Joshua introduced to us as a warrior, he's also a a waiter. I did that for alliteration. The word is assistant or servant. He waited on Moses. He's the great warrior, the one who would be the hero had he so desired to promote himself. But he doesn't. He serves Moses and serves Moses for 40 years and is known to God and amongst his people as the assistant. In some ways, it was a blessing, a long preparation For a significant ministry that God had called him to. Well, not only is he a warrior, a waiter, he's also one who wholly followed the Lord. It's how he's talked about in Numbers 32. When the twelve spies go out to spy out the promised land, two come back with a positive report, ten don't. This is how it is recorded. Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give Abram to Isaac and to Jacob because they've not wholly followed me. Except, except Caleb the son of Jephun, the Kenazite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And this is probably the most important thing that is said about Joshua in all of Scripture. He wholly followed the Lord. Continuous action. He was constant. It was day by day, putting God first above all things. And this is not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a decision to remind yourself and renew that commitment every day. This is Joshua. Well, as this opens up, this book that bears his name, We find out from the very first words, now, after Joshua, or the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. It's hard to calculate the loss of Moses. There was no one like him. You can imagine the mood. One writer says it this way, what do you do when the servant of God dies And a raging river lies between you and the land you are to inherit. What do you do when you've left everything, the first five books of the Bible, uh, when you've left everything, uh, when you have left, sorry, never mind. But he does say this, there is a passing of an era, yet there is the endurance of the promise. The faithfulness of God does not hinge on the achievements of men, however gifted they may be, nor does it evaporate in the face of funerals or rivers. Moses may die, but God's promise lives on. And the promises shine this bright light. God shines the bright light of his promise in the midst of this darkness that overshadows the nation. And in verse 2, he tells Joshua and all of the people, it's time to arise. It is time to step into the promise that's been waiting for you. And there's three things I want you to see. God's going to remind him of his promise. He's going to remind him of his presence, and he's going to instruct them about his word. The promise in 3 and 4, this is the promise. This was... The promise to Moses, and you get to verse 4, and you find out you go all the way back to Genesis 15. This was a promise to Abraham, a promise 500 years ago made to Abraham before Abraham had a single child. In his 90s, his wife is barren, and God promised him descendants and rehearsed with him the land that he had brought him to. We'll consider the geography in a couple of weeks, but in the meantime, you could find as you're reading this book, don't forget about the maps in the back of your Bible. And you read chapter, or verse 4 of chapter 1, and you realize how expansive this land that God has promised really was. But not only is the promise, as he reminded of the promise, notice in verse 5, he's also reminded of the promise. Presence of God. No man will stand before you, be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So I'll be with you. I will not leave you, I will forsake you. I'll I'll be with you. I won't leave you, I won't forsake you. God's saying, Lord, I haven't changed. Moses may, still, may be dead, but I'm still on the throne. And I am still present with you, my people. And so God utters in verses 6 and 7, he says, Be strong and courageous, for, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do, all according to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. When God says, be strong and courageous, I want you to hear. He's not saying, hey, um, Joshua, buck up. Joshua, time to grit your teeth. This isn't a courage to be found from within. You find the source of it at the end of verse 9 where God says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the source of your courage. That's the source of your strength. That's the source of all well, the boldness that he's calling us to. We might wonder, well, yeah, I get this, but this is 3,500 years ago. And God's speaking to Joshua, and Joshua is the leader now of this nation. This is his commissioning by God. Does this apply to me? And I would say absolutely yes. And we know that because of what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13 is is that writer is writing to ordinary, everyday Christians just like you and just like me and says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for or because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so, because of that, we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So, I would say this. There's nothing more essential for the people of God. There's nothing more essential for us as believers this morning in this room to hear God repeating over and over to us in the midst of, of circumstances that are constantly changing, in the midst of suffering or heartache or crisis that suddenly pops up, in the midst of the phone call that we've dreaded, or in the midst of the promotion or joy or celebration. That we would hear God say, I'm with you. I never leave you. I will never forsake you. The promise of God, they're reminded of the presence of God. I want you to see the Word of God. And this is where I'll camp out for just one minute. But in verses 7 and 8, the Word of God is central to the life of his people. And he says there's this obedience to the Word of God that brings success or prosperity. Maybe yours says wisdom. And in the context, let me just say, in the context, this isn't that Joshua is going to be rich and famous. It is not that Joshua is going to become, you know, a wealthy social influencer. Or that he's going to go viral amongst the nations. This isn't that kind of promise. What he's being promised is that, hey, Joshua, you'll be obedient to the commands, and you will successfully complete what I've called you to do. You'll be successful and wise and prosperous from my perspective. Now, let me just say this morning, that may be the adjustment that some of us need. What does it mean to be successful in the eyes of God? Well, it means to be obedient to that which he's called us to. And maybe some of you need to hear this morning that if you're a believer, and I mean this, if you're a believer this morning, there is a call on your life. There is that which God has for you to do. In fact, he didn't, and he's not just playing it by ear. The Bible says these things that he has for you, these good works that he wrote for you, this, this, this poem that your life is meant to express as it reflects God, that there are things for you to do, and they are yours And that he means for you to do them. That part of the joy of your life is walking in the ways and in the steps and in the days that God has for you. They are promises from God for you to step into, for you to fulfill. So I think, too, sometimes we don't, we're not very careful about how we think about it, and we think, okay, well, ministry is this. I go to church, one guy preaches, few people sing. That's how it works. And I would tell you this morning, if you're a believer, and not only do you have the promises of God, not only do you have the presence of God, the Word of God says, hey, God has things for you. There's a plan for you. There are things for you to step into and to walk in, and they're all yours. And So the question becomes, okay, Joshua, how do you, how do you make sure you walk in those things? When you feel the weight of, of, of that which you've been called to, how do you walk in those things? I would say, one, you can hardly be obedient to that which you do not know. And verse 8 tells us the place of God's Word in our life. Just look at it again. It says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This Word of God. But you'll meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in there. For then... You will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. So see, it means always near, or always reading, and, and always on your lips, which means that means that the God, the word of God, that you you become so acquainted with the word of God that it informs the language that you speak and the words that you use. And so when you go to describe a situation that you're in or a crisis that comes up or a joy that's to be celebrated and you are thinking in your mind about this or you're speaking about it, that those words are informed by God's words. In other words, that what's coming out of your mouth is the understanding that you're seeing your life and the circumstances around you, the way that God is seeing your life and the circumstances around you. And that only comes from having a mind and a heart and a life that's, that's saturated with God's Word that comes through meditating on it. In fact, the way he says it in Psalm 1, 1 and 2 that Chad looked at last week. Blessed is the man who walks, or man or woman, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now, make sure what I'm not talking about. I am not talking about mystical experiences. I am not talking about warm feelings. I am not talking about yoga positions. Well, I'm, not, I'm not throwing a stone at yoga, whatever. I, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about Eastern religion or transcendentalism. I'm talking about not emptying your mind of everything. I am talking about having your mind and your heart and your life filled with the words of God. That's what I'm talking about. Not a gimmick. I'm talking about what's available to every single one of us. Now, I'm going to say a few things about meditation, but I, I, I want to preface them by saying when I'm talking about meditation, I I'm all I'm doing is, is trying to highlight and turn the volume up on what the Bible speaks about all through the pages. That we'd meditate on God's word. And and listen, I, I this is not i I'm not a guy who stands up here and like shames people. I'm not shaming you. I get it. I mean, if we were to go through and go, hey, tell me about your meditating on God's word. And you'd be like, I don't even know what that means. I mean, when would I do that? What does it look like? I mean, to meditate on God's word. I mean, really? And so I, I want to just like be super practical here for a few minutes and say, okay, what what would that mean? What would that look like? How How do I do that? Because I'm telling you that the way the Bible speaks about this over and over and over and over again, it has an effect that can transform our lives. And so, when God comes to Joshua, standing there at the side of the Jordan with the weight of the death of Moses and the nation of Israel pressing on him and he says don't don't be afraid you don't have anything to fear you get to be courageous and you get to be strong and you get to know my presence and that I never leave you and I never forsake you and how you know that is that you meditate on my word As you meditate on my word, the truth of who I am becomes more and more and more clear. And you begin to walk in the assurance of those promises. And you get to walk in the security of my presence. And I'm telling you, if if you could just leave here today, some of you with the hope of the assurance of his promise or the security of his presence, that changed your life this morning. And So what does it mean? Let me say it this way. You, I know what you want. You What's the app? If, is there an app I can get for that? No. You know, what it, you know what you have to do? You have to take some time. Like, block it out. Like, okay, if you read your Bible on your phone, here's the deal. If you swipe down or, or up or whatever, you're, how you, and you put that thing on airplane mode or do not disturb, then you can't check Facebook while you're doing it. That's not meditating. I mean, it's, it's like time alone. It's, it's time in a, in a place. Maybe it's taking this week where it's going to be in the low 60s early in the morning and grabbing a cup of coffee and sitting out on your back porch. Saying, okay, I'm to jump into this. That you'd set aside some time, you'd set aside some space, and that you would do this over an extended period of time. Listen, I'm trying to sell you on an extended period of time this morning. When you get a taste of this, and the Holy Spirit starts working in you and drawing you to it, this will be something you'll feel drawn to more and more and more. And then I would say, listen, choose a, f- a phrase or a, or a verse and maybe it's something that would be meaningful or helpful to you. Maybe you're struggling this morning with forgiveness. Hey, there's somebody I need to forgive. And so you can go to the back of your Bible, you can find your recordings, you can look up forgiveness, you can read through several of those verses and you say, no, Lord, i want going to meditate on, on this verse this, this week. And then you start with prayer. You start right from the beginning, holding up those arms, saying, Lord, I'm about to enter the plane. I'm about to enter the battle of my mind and the battle of my life. But I know, I know I can't do this without you. I am dependent upon you. You start there. And then take that word or phrase and read the context around it. Try to understand what it means in context. I'm not talking about pulling out a word or a phrase or a verse out of context and making it mean what you want. That's not what I'm talking about. But read the paragraph it's in. Read the chapter that it's in. And then you start thinking about that text. You can memorize it. Let the words, one after the other, wash over you. Think about how, who's the subject and who's the object and what's the verb and how do the prepositions work? We'd, we just did this, our Tuesday morning Bible study did this with Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. We broke for the summer and said, hey, come come back with the, with the, 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 the prayer in, in, in the Ephesians chapter 3 that Paul prays. Come back having memorized that. And so we're memorizing it, and it means we're wor- working through these things in our mind. And so, so I'm doing that. I mean, I've read this. I've preached it. But I mean, I'm working it out in my mind, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm meditating on it. And I'm realizing, man, do I believe? Oh, holy moly, do I believe what it is that Paul has said here? when he prays for the strength of the power of God by the Holy Spirit, that I'd know that. And I realized after meditating on that and washing those words over my I had no idea what that meant. But man, I wanted to. Believing that that's what God does. I'll tell you that. It's transforming in my thinking. Changes how you see a, a Wednesday afternoon or, or a Friday morning is these things that are orchestrated in my life, and that nothing comes into my life without having come through the hands of God. And now I see it has come through the hands of God, and here it is. And here I am on a Friday morning, and I'm realizing that what God's doing in my life is drawing me to Him that this didn't happen by accident. And so, we think about the text. We wash the words over in our mind. We think about them as we sit at the stoplight. We dedicate a space and a time to meditate, to fill ourselves up with what God has said. It sounds strange to some of you. I know. We don't do that kind of thing. Think about how to apply it. How would this work itself out in my life, whatever it is? Do it for a week and come back. If you journal, pull a note up on your phone, write down your thoughts. Share them with your life group. Call a buddy on the phone. Say, man, I've I've been meditating on this verse. I want to tell you what I learned. And pray, pray as you do that. Ask the Lord to make his presence known, his wisdom known. I'll end with this. This is so, in in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews says this For the word of God is living and active, it's sharper than a two edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Then the writer says this most fascinating thing. And no creature is hidden from his sight. He uses the personal pronoun, his, to describe the word of God. And all of a sudden you begin thinking, yes, the word of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in some ways as I'm reading and meditating on God's word and it's living and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword and it's piercing me and dividing me and I'm realizing it's, not just words on a page, but it's a living word. It's, it's the Word of God. That by God's Spirit, through His revealed Word, that the Son of God, Christ in me as a believer, is working to undo me. Not that not cause me to run away. But it cause me to draw near. Remember, oh yeah. You never leave me, you never forsake me. I can be strong and courageous. And everything, everything in my life becomes now oriented to him. So that's what I ask you to do. That's what I encourage you this morning. I don't mean walk out of here and go, okay, great, I got, a, I got a thing. I'm going to do that thing. But I mean, walk out of here and ask the Lord, would you, would you put in me a desire to, to meditate, to let your word wash over me and do this for a week, for a couple of weeks? And see, see how God makes his presence that is always there more known as you experience his nearness. Can't wait for next week. We're going to finish the rest of Joshua chapter 1. And you won't believe what it says. Let's pray. Father, do what only you can do in our hearts and minds and lives. We need you to do that. This, this life in Christ, this life of grace and Forgiveness and obedience to you. This overflow of of what it means to be free in you. We can't do that on our own. We can't talk ourselves into it. We can't, we don't have enough willpower. So, Father, we need you to draw us. We need you to stir our affection and desire And so, Father, when you, when we feel that impulse and we feel your spirit nudging us and calling to us and, Father, I pray this morning for the obedience. Okay, I will. I'm going to do that. And that as we encounter your word, you would overwhelm us with your grace. We would know and see more clearly, begin to see more clearly your promises, know your presence and father that your word would have its effect in our life and so we ask these things we ask these things in the name of your son jesus and by the power of your spirit amen